0: So we talked about the heart, you might recall, we showed that the heart was here and it was out of the heart, the overflow is what we say and what we do. This is the foundation of everything we're talking about, It's out of that heart. Whatever it is within our own lives, within our kids' own lives, it's, it's out of the abundance of the heart. The overflow of the heart is what we say and what we do. And we're going to just keep walking further and further into that to, uh, to try to understand the heart and to <clears throat> how to motivate from the heart. We also talked about the husband-wife relationship. Remember that? We talked about some of the things in the, in the priority that has to be. It was the first relationship that God ever made. And because of that, it's the priority. And out of that, it's going to be all the other relationships are dependent upon it. And your kids then are going to be watching everything you're doing. And if your relationship with your spouse is fighting in contention and everything, but you're talking to them about Jesus and how wonderful he is and you got to do this, the two aren't going to match. So you have to understand... Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to keep pounding this one. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. These things I command you this day to have them first in your heart, then teach them diligently to your children. So we it's, it starts... This thing keeps falling. It starts with your own heart, and then uh, it needs to be taught to others. Well, uh, another whole big part of this is the shaping influences around us. And if you've read the, the shepherding book... Um, There's a lot of importance to this. The Proverbs speak to this all over the place. Um, These are the events of life itself, the situations, the happenings, uh, the circumstances that will affect a child's developmental years into the person that he becomes. And there's little things and there's big things that occur here. Some are shaping influences over which you have no control. Things like a natural disaster. Um, How many of you remember going through a big earthquake? I remember that as a kid, going through big earthquakes. Okay, certain things happen, you, you change your minds, Or death. A family member that dies. Um, a disease in the family. That's going to affect somebody. Having something like that, it's going to have a very big shaping influences on them. While these events may be beyond your control, they're not beyond God's control. They're not beyond God's control. And that's the important thing we need to look here. The sovereignty of God is going to come into play. Whatever has happened to your kids in the past, whatever's happened to you in the past... We have to recognize that's God's sovereignty, and we can't just blame everything on that. Acts 17.26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on, the fa- all, live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. So God knows where everyone is living, what's going on around them, what happens. All that stuff is, is all certainly within God's hands. So let's look at some of the major shaping influences in, in the life of your children. The first, maybe you can even look at this for yourself, the structure of the family. Think of the structure that your own family was that you growing up. Um, did you have a single parent? How, did, how does that affect things? You're going to have a whole different view if you had single parents. Uh, how about your grandparents? Were they close? Were they even living? Were they part of the family? These are shaping influences that are going to affect the way you're going to parent and your kids' lives. As they have parents right now, or their grandparents that are way far away, they're going to have a different effect than if their parents were living next door or even in the house. I know I didn't have any grandparents anywhere around. I think I met them two or three times in my life. So they weren't a part of my life. So the structure of the family is one of the first major shaping influences. The next would be family values. What are the family values that are created in your family? church how important is that is that something that it's a priority and why is it a priority Um, things like honesty i mean how is honesty valued within that family is it something that man if you're not honest there's a big problem here and you deal with it something like lying how well how is that treated as a kid maybe you lied and you got away with it your parents didn't care about it or a sibling would lie um how about hard working you know are some of the family values if you have a family where the dad just um, he just was working three jobs and doing all kinds of stuff and or was he a guy that just sat back with a, a clicker and watched TV? That's, that's gonna have a, an influence uh, drinking and how that's handled within the home. That can be a, a big, big changer, both in the way that you were parented and the way you're going to parent because you saw what occurred there. Something like movies, something that simple. Well, what movies were allowed in the house? What were the things that were the influencing areas that were allowed because of the family values that held certain ways? Next would be family roles. Did you have a strong dad? or uh, a strong mom. I've seen families like that where the mom has just ruined the whole thing and dad is just this cowering in the corner guy. That is gonna have a big effect on the way that you have been raised or obviously as you do it with uh, with your kids. Those family roles are, are very important to watch. Uh, family solving, uh, problem solving. How does the family solve problems? Well, dad just yells and screams and throws stuff. Man, that's, that's an influence. You're gonna remember that. That's a part of the way you grew up, wow. Or is it dad gently sits people down or, or mom and dad sit down and they talk things over. Oh, okay, this is how they dealt with conflict. Um, or maybe a silent treatment. Mom would go on her rant and rage and yelling and, and dad just shuts up and goes in the corner and just doesn't say anything. And how does that affect things? Those are, those are important areas there. So there's, there's a lot of things that tie into those um, shaping influences. There's two mistakes that we need to avoid as we look at this. There's two different ways you can go. The first is determinationism, or determinism. This is the idea that you can do everything right, you can put all these little boundaries around your child, and everything's going to be okay. You control the circumstances, you put boxes around it, and and it's just a major control thing, you're in control of all the issues of life, and then you can produce the children you want. You've taken their environment all around them, and then you have created them out of this environment that was supposedly perfect. You can come up with a child who's doing everything right. Assuming that they are the helpless victim of their circumstances is the other way. So they're just helpless, and uh, it's just the, the way that these kids are raised. You see some, some kids, some neighbor kids. Well, they are the way they are because they were, were raised that way, and, and that's the other side of determinism, where uh, you know, that's, you're just a victim of your circumstances. You're in a poor family. You're in a, a family that the dad was an alcoholic, and therefore you turn out that way. It, it can't be any different. You see, it's determined. It's determined either good or bad. Either you controlled all the influences and kept them from stuff, or it was all this disaster stuff, and therefore they turned out, turned out bad. The other mistake to avoid is a denial of the shaping influences, where you say, you know what, none of that stuff matters. It's unimportant. Uh, you ignore the realities of these influences on your kids and your children's lives. So that's going to be another problem that's going to create. If if you just ignore it, no, none of that stuff's there. You know, dad's an alcoholic and and he's ranting and raving. We don't care about it. And and you ignore that. The problem is that neither determinism nor denial is correct. Neither of them is correct. We we can't look at both ends of of the spectrum there. Children interact out of their Godward orientation of their heart. So it's, it's, it's God within their heart that is, is going to allow them to react a certain way. And the way we look at it is, uh, here's our, I'm going to draw a little, I am not good at stick figures. So we'll figure this out here. Here's a guy here, and so he can either worship God, is what he's looking to do. No. So he's up here, he wants to go and has a Godward orientation in his heart. Romans 1 Verse 18 and following, it says, your children either respond to God in faith, that whole Romans passage, you know, God does all this. Now, in, we either respond in faith or else we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So we, there is a, an ability that children have and we have to respond to God and this orientation within our heart. Psalm 58.3 says, even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward and speak lies. This is talking about sin nature. We are born with a sin nature. That little tiny one-year-old over there, eight-month-old, was she 10? She's almost 10 months old? Seven, okay. Um, that little seven-month-old was born with sin in her heart. I mean, that's, we all are. We have sin from the beginning. When, and it says, the wicked go astray from the womb, they are wayward and speak lies. Psalm 51.5, I was sinful at birth, the psalmist says. So we have to have a world view. That, that identifies that we have a sin nature to start with, and little kids are not born innocent. They're not born where they can go either way. We are born very clearly because of Adam's fall. We are born with a, a self-bias impulse drive is the way I first learned it. They have, a, We all have a bias to do everything for ourselves. That's kind of the driving, motivating thing. I want things because I want them, and I'm going to do them the way I want, and that's from a little Seven month old, I'm sure you you can see signs in little kids that small. I've seen them where they will cry just because they want to cry because they want what they want. That is the sin nature. Proverbs 22 15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That's what's there. It's just naturally there. We also know that man is a worshiper. Man was made to worship. Think of the things that we worship as man. I mean, unsaved people, we all worship something. Sports Illustrated, I think you look at. That uh, magazine guys and and i don't read it but it's everything in there is all about worshiping man and what man can do you know a guy like tiger woods i mean that's just amazing a guy could play golf not currently he's not very good at it or michael phelps or any of these guys just do amazing things um we, we actually grade them, don't we, as a society? We look at them and then we, you know, in the Olympics, we hold up signs on how well they do. Oh, that was an 8.4 or whatever. We we worship those kind of things. Wow, that was a 10, that guy did. Or something like a sunset. I mean, you see the beautiful sky over the ocean and palm trees and you're out on the beach in Fiji or something like that. Wow, this is beautiful. We, we want to worship God because of that. It's, we worship. That is just beautiful. Well... Nature is not like that. The rest of nature, we don't see them doing that. You don't see a bunch of penguins lined up around an iceberg, and one guy jumping off, and everyone going, holding up a sign. All the other penguins saying, oh, that was a 4.7, Joe. Or you don't see a, a bear reaching down into the, into the stream and grabbing a fish, and there's another, guy, another bear across the way saying, oh, Bob, that was a great catch. Good job. Look at that fish. No, we don't, that's just not, not what animals do. Man has this unique characteristic to worship. Romans 1 25 continues on It says man even in his unregenerate state is made to be a worshiper man is made this way he's made to be dazzled to be impressed to be awed. that's the way we we have that built innate with us and it's a matter of what we're going to do with that well the question is what will your children worship what are they going to worship so we have two things either they're going to worship God oh I can put some eyeballs on this guy or let's see if I can do this He will bow down, put a head down here, and his arms. He's going to bow down to other idols. There's some type of thing that he's going to worship there. He's going to bow down to some idol and and pray. We don't know what that is. Children are worshipers either to God, to know him, and to love him. That's what they're they're going to do, or to idols. I was over in Malaysia one time doing some work in uh, my People who had brought me over there, or I was visiting, they took me out to the Batu Caves. This is some, you know, place where they love to go, and this is a giant cave, but in it they have all these giant idols in there that they've carved into these caves, the sides of it, and it's all these people just coming and wanting to just give sacrifice, and there's food just laying around, and it stinks, there's bats all over the place, there's monkeys running all around crazy trying to steal your, trying to steal Kathy's purse and uh, it's just a stinking place but these people then they, they take hooks and they put them in themselves and they hang stuff on them it's like these guys are crazy what they're trying to do with this worship that these idols that are just man-made items in this, in this big cave that was carved out there but we in America we bow down to different idols don't we? we have a lot of them we bow down to how about pride? we have a lot of pride and that's a real easy idol to train our kids I'm good look at me look what I did So we gotta be watching for these idols. Pride is a big one. How about success or performance? I mean, this is something we really can get our kids into. Get them to be the best they can at something, and you are the best at this. Uh, Where we used to live, we have a big park out in front of the house, and there was a, uh, a neighbor and this neighbor would bring his little boy out there and he would just play baseball hour after hour, day after day with him, performance related. And and, I mean, he'd get him pitching machines and all these things he'd bring out there. This kid was going to be a baseball star and he wanted that. And and you just watched him just pouring into this kid performance that he would be good at this. And I guess he's a a really good pitcher now. He's uh, probably in high school. Um, But that is what he encouraged, this performance for this child. We encourage this. Some Christians, we look at our children as trophies, but our trophies, not God's trophies. What they're doing, oh, look at their good behavior. Look what they're doing. Rather than being God's creatures and they're doing this for God's glory, they're not given to us to give us glory, but rather to him. And I know that's an easy trap to do. You know, my kids, are, they're in, especially Christians in the church, they get these kids and they've, they've trained them well but now they're holding them up. Look what my kids can do. Look at the quality that my kids can either say Bible verses or they can be real nice to people. And that's what we're after is their performance in those ways. Next one is possessions. That's pretty easy. And you can train your kids on possessions. I'm like, Look at this thing you got. Look at that thing. With us, it's our houses, our cars, and boats, and toys, and clothes. Dare I say the word shoes. You know, the, the, whatever it is there's these things that will, will tie us into our possessions and then we can train them in the same way that hey these things are important to you check this out hey save up your money you can get this now there's nothing wrong with possessions but what are, what are we doing training the heart there pleasures when you have teens uh, nobody here really you guys have teens um this is something that really easily we can do. We can just feed on them pleasures. Hey, let's go to Disneyland. Let's go here. Let's go there. And and you see these kids and they weaned them from an early age every other month going to Disneyland. And, and it's just pleasure. It's all about you. It's all about what you want. I want to fill that pleasure so you feel happy about yourself. You've had the pleasure. Sensuality. Our looks. Um, we glorify our bodies. we got to have just the right look. we got to have the right whatever it is. And, you know, guys got to go to the gym and... and I mean, none of us are like the gym kind of guys, but um, that's something a lot of people will do where they just spend their whole life. And we've taught our kids that by our actions, where this is what dad does. His priority, his idol in life is going to the gym to look good. Uh, excitement. I mean, what's the next exciting thing? Let's get the adrenaline going, uh, waiting for that next best, best thing. Or power, control, those kind of things. That's, we can train our kids to do that by the way that we do it. Influence. How many people do you influence? Hey, we've got those people to do such and such. Or respect comes as a part of that too. How many people respect me for what I do? I, I, I've attained to a certain level. Another one is a fear of man. A fear of man. That's, that can be a big problem where we then do things. We drive things in our life because we're afraid of what others will think about us. Whether it be the the way that we uh, respond to certain people or the way we dress. Sometimes we're not doing it just because we love Shoes or whatever it is, it's because we're afraid, oh, somebody's going to think I look odd. Uh, lastly, is the desire to be approved. It's kind of on the same thing. We want to be in that in crowd. And we can train our kids to do this. They've got to have the right shoes. They've got to have the right whatever it is, so they are one of the in people. And uh, that's not training them, their heart, to the right thing, because now that's what's driving them. That's what's their influence. What controls my heart, we said last week, is what controls my life. And what I'm going to do. So if that heart is saying, I want pleasure, I want uh, approval, I want to not have to fear man, out of that is going to be what we say and what we do. It controls my life. You must show your children the importance of having a God word orientation. So we have to, this takes time, it takes effort, it takes work. Say, you know, what is it that really controls our life? And Deuteronomy 6 is a good place to do that. And, and sometimes this also takes, the, because of the Deuteronomy passage, is saying to our kids, our teens or whatever ones they are, you know what, I, dad's been pursuing some stuff here of, of having the right image because I drive a BMW. I had to look at myself at one point where I had a nice car. and I said, you know what, I think that was an idol to me where I had a certain look and, and I had to say, you know what, I need to say no to those things. I need to change my lifestyle, change some of my um, things that were important. So we want to show and teach them the greatness of God. That's really what we want to show them. That's what we want their heart to be driven to. Is God really that big and that exciting to them? I listed some passages there, and these are great places to take your kids just to walk through some of these. Psalm 145 speaks of one generation shall praise your name and your works to another. That's what we want. We want to praise God's name and share that with the kids. Psalm 4. read through psalm 4 because there's just a, a lot of good stuff in here these are the kind of things where this is but well, as you walk by the way as you sit down in the, De- the deuteronomy uh, 6 passage this is how we do this we take a, a chapter like this and we just slowly read through it with our kids you talk about it and say kids just listen about this and let's let's think about God through this. Hear me when I call, O God, my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So you talk about, well, why would we have mercy on, why would we add, have God ask mercy on us? Well, it's because my heart wants to do these other things. My heart wants to be selfish. So you're sharing them both from your perspective and maybe some sin that they've been struggling with. Um, but to know the Lord, he set himself apart for those who are godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him be angry and do not sin. These are great little things to talk about when your kids are struggling with, you know what, they're mad at their brother because this brother took my toy or he broke my such and such. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. There's a there's a great little verse for your kids. Um, it goes on, I'm talking about the seasons that God gives us. I'll lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And there's just psalms all over the place for doing this kind of stuff. Psalm 27 the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? These are the things we need to ingrain to our kids' hearts. And how do we do that? Well, it doesn't start when they're 16 years old. All of a sudden we say, okay, kids, we're going to explain everything there is to the Bible. You've been going to church and now we're going to do it. No, it starts when they're that age, mom and dad sitting around the table with a little child sitting there in a high chair or in a, a bassinet, anything. And you just develop it between the husband wife relationship. Dads, this is your job lead in this area. Hey, let's just talk about Scripture. Let's walk through some passages here, just with your wife, and then you bring in a third party, you, your uh, you know son and daughter. Next thing you know, you've got five kids around you, and you've made this a habit. It's part of what you do. Now, your child sees in your heart growing up, what's in dad's heart? You know what? Dad talks a lot about this Christ guy, and, and he wants to live it, and he's recognizing that he has some issues, and he he says he's sorry for, for being angry because the Bible says he shouldn't be now the child and the children are seeing this lived out but it's been walked through daily or at least on a fairly regular basis in their lives psalm 16 i put my trust in the lord he says that over and over again that's important for us to have psalm 73 uh, this psalm is the one that asks this heart-piercing question whom have i in heaven but you Do your kids really think that way that you think that way that you can survive on your own and dad's going to get through this and, and dad will be able to handle this and mom will be able to handle that? Or is it that we're that dependent on God? Whom have I in heaven but you to help me through this crisis I'm going through? I don't have anyone but God. He comes up with a powerful answer in Psalm 73 after that. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And you walk through it. It's just, it's conversational with scripture. That's what we need to do. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, it says in there. That our dependence is on God and not on ourselves. Psalm sixty-three encourages you and your children to thirst for God. There's just a lot of these Psalms that, that we need to train our kids that we're working through this ourselves, too. Isaiah fifty five says, basically, why spend your money on time and things that, that aren't gonna satisfy? Well, what do we need to spend our time and our effort and our energy on? On things of the Lord. And God is our satisfaction. This is a worship we want our children to to experience, We want them to grow to this so that their heart is not bowing down to the idols, but instead is worship. a terrible stick figure. Um, think of the example of Joseph. I mean, Joseph, there he was, number 11 out of 12 kids, and his father's favorite, yet he was despised by his brothers, and they took him out in the field, they threw him down in the pit, and they're going to kill him. Eventually, they sold him off as a slave. I mean, he's going, God, why are you doing this? I was being faithful to you. He's a slave in... Uh, down in egypt and rises in power and then he gets thrown in prison with some lies about him why and he's just sitting there in prison other people are getting out and he's been forgotten about he had every reason to be just discouraged by his shaping influences if you ever think that you have a bad go back and look at the life of joseph and say what did he go through how did he handle this he had a lens that he looked through life you know, he could look at and say, you know what, I'm looking at this with a Godward orientation, that what I'm seeing is God has some plan. I have no idea what it is. And what was that plan? How did that end up? And he was second most powerful man, and he helped save the nation of Israel because of this. Genesis 50, 19 through 21, um, talks about this whole thing. The normal expectation of somebody who goes through these kind of experiences is just be so upset and why does this happen to me? This doesn't make sense. I'm bitter and I'm angry and I have a reason for it. And we know these kind of people. We see them walk through life and and just every other word out of their mouth is just something that's unfortunate because they're they're bitter. But because of the Godward orientation in Joseph's heart, these influences caused him to see these events as opportunities to give glory to God. And uh, that honor to God is what's important. Can you think of some important shaping influences in your lives? What are some things you can point to? Go ahead, anybody? Just major things that just shifted your life. Disease. Disease. Yeah, and your your own direct family. Have you had any sickness in your life? (laughs) Daniel? uh, Yeah, grandfather dying in a plane crash. And look how that shifted your perspective of life tremendously, just like that. It does, yeah. We all can probably point to something and say, you know what, yeah, there's, there's a lot in our lives. I think, man, God, I don't get it, but I know you're going to use this for my glory. Um, someday I'll share with you guys how, how I, I think I should. no, I didn't share with you, um, how we got to Bakersfield. It was an amazing shaping influence that caused us through a murder, basically, is, is how we're here. And uh, I say, like, I did not understand at the time, but I knew God had a reason. I knew he had a plan, and okay, God, I don't get it, but... And now I see that God wanted me here in Bakersfield to be involved in the Church Like Grace Bible. It's kind of neat to watch later on. Um, Okay, next I want to look at a few more things. Remember we talked about the tree and all these little apples that you're putting on the tree, you're tying apples on, or you're trying to cause those good works, trying to cause things that are going to, good fruits, but they're uh, they're not. It's not systemic. Um, Next thing I want to do is go back and look at the... uh, Behavior, how that's interpreted by the heart, in reference to the heart. Mark 7, 14 to 23, says that what's inside a child makes a child clean or unclean, or, or a person. So, I'm sorry, Mark 7. I'm going to read that. 14 to 23. What? Doesn't look right. Yeah. Okay. When he called some of the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear, hear me, everyone, and understand there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. And from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man." So there's, as a part of this, there's a lot that we're going we're gonna to see. First, ungodly behavior begins with an attitude of the heart, which is reflected in behavior. Ungodly behavior begins with an attitude of the heart. It's, it's the heart we know that is, but it's an attitude within there. And uh, there's a little chart here that I'm going to kind of walk through. And that is, if you have a behavior such as fighting... You have fighting going on here. So immediately what you do, you want to change this fighting to peace, right? That's what you're after. You want to see some peace in your family. And uh, you look at this, okay, I'm going to work on some ways to cause them, my kids, to be peaceful in the house. I want, I want peace in here. I don't like this fighting over a toy, whatever it is. Well, you can't ignore the issues of the heart as you deal with this. Look at the child's behavior. It reveals what is in the heart. So we have to go back up, and we have to look what is inside that heart that's causing the fighting, because we know it's the overflow of the heart that's causing that. Attitudes and actions are reflected in the behavior of what we see and what we hear. So any of our kids could fight. You could have one kid alone, and they can practically fight. when Any neighbor comes over. Next thing you know, there's going to be a little fight there when a friend's visiting. Those things happen. Fighting over a remote control for the TV, or fighting over the last bit of ice cream in the in the freezer, two kids fighting over the same toy, it happens, but both of them are usually expressing some type of love of themselves with an unwillingness to share that toy. There's something going on in there as these kids are fighting. The temptation is to want to just change the behavior. We want to do that typically. So we address the the behavior all right in that area. We, We leave it right there. We just want to work on that behavior. That's the typical thing. Attempts to address behavior may produce a change, but this change is only going to be superficial in nature. It's not going to last. God is concerned not so much with what we do in parenting, but how we do it. We can get them to change behavior, but how we do it and the purposes to do it. So I want to cover some negative ways we address behavior change. Who had it first? Okay, there's kids fighting. Who had the the toy first? This is going to decide it with this fight over the toy. We we try to solve the problem based upon initial ownership. Who initially had the toy and somebody tried to take it from them? Well, where does it say in the Bible that a child uh, who has it first gets to keep it and has no other responsibilities? Doesn't say that. Okay, there's some other verses in there. So we try to look at that. Who had it first? Another way that we'll deal with behavior is manipulative threats. We'll Try to manipulate them with some threats. If you guys keep fighting over these toys, I'm going to ship them off to Swaziland. We're not going to have them here anymore. We're going to give them to kids that are going to enjoy them because you kids aren't enjoying these kids. We threaten them over the loss of toys because we want that to be the initiative to change their behavior that I'm going to get rid of them. You can't have them anymore. Therefore, that's the reason because they still want them in their heart. They still want that toy. So they're going to stop doing the bad behavior only because they still want the toy, not because... They want to do what's right. They're going to change from fighting into sharing, into, into some peace there. Another one would be guilt or emotional appeal. You know, Daddy is really upset about this. You kids have been fighting all the time. He goes off to work and look at him. His shoulders are slumped, he's sad, he's depressed, he doesn't have any joy because he knows at home you kids are just fighting all day long and this is just not good for him. He's been bypassed for promotions and we're gonna lose the house and you just pour this guilt on him. How terrible it is because you kids are fighting here all because you're over over this toy. And you make this compelling story. You might get some tears out of them. You might, this might work a couple times. But after a while, it's like, you know what, mom, you said this before. This isn't working here. So we're trying to, out of guilt, make them do something, make them share or an emotional appeal or shame. You know, it just hurts me so much. I feel so sad when you do this. It's all about you and not about them. You're not after their heart. You're after them just being concerned that, oh, poor mom, rather than dealing with their own heart. Uh, How about bribery and and prizes? Okay, so we want to, it's a good time to interject that. How do we deal with those kind of things? You want them to do something, and we can, should we, or or how can we use bribery and prizes? There's ways to change behavior this way. And uh, one is like a sharing jar. If if you share with each other, every time mommy or daddy catches you sharing with your brother, we're going to put your name on a piece of paper inside this jar. At the end of the week, mommy's going to take every one of the, take one of these out. Just grab one of them, and if your name is on it, you're going to get a prize at the grocery store—a you know, nice, you know, toy up to ten dollars or twenty dollars at the store when we when we go there. Well, when mom and dad are looking, the kids come into the into the family room, and, and you're in there. And here, I, let me give you my toy. You know, they're wanting to share with each other right in front of you all the time. As soon as you leave the room, I didn't say how long you could share, I'd share it with you, and they take it back. So what they're trying to do is get away with everything they can to get the prize. They're after the prize. They're not after sharing out of their heart. I didn't say how long you could have it. Or uh, Ted talks a, story, talks a story about a 15-year-old girl who's always complaining, and she's complaining about everything. And just, Dad's tired of this. Just so tired of, him, of her always complaining. He so says, tell you what, he takes a jar and he puts 10 crisp $10 bills in the jar he says okay here's all this money and it's all yours if after two weeks you haven't complained it's all yours but if you complain ten dollars is coming out every time i hear you complain so great daughter's sweet and kind next thing you know accidentally she starts complaining about something up ten dollars comes out and something later on happens next thing you know she's looking at those and it's getting a little low here and trying to be as sweet as she can and what is she after What's her heart motivated to do? Is it to be really kind and stop complaining? No, it's shifted somewhere else. She's doing it because she wants the money. She didn't have a change of heart or a desire for righteousness. She just had a desire to get what she wanted, however she can get there. Um, a lot of parenting books, even Christian parenting books I've read, talk about creating a contract with your kid. If you just write a contract, especially teens, here's the rules of our house, you break the rules, and here's what's going to happen, and it's, it's just in a contract, and you sign it, and I sign it, and it's done. And uh, great idea, but what it ends up doing is you find out what hurts them the most, and you make that the, be the results and uh, reading this one book was Toe to Toe with Your Teen was given to me Christian author supposedly and Christian information given to me by a, a youth uh, um, leader of the uh, children's church at another church and I read this thing I couldn't believe it it was take away this kid's hair gel that was his biggest thing that the kid loved was his hair gel and by taking his hair gel away if he did something wrong that was man you have got this kid raped on a deadlock you've got him nailed because you took away the thing that he likes the most and you got him to do what you wanted him to do missed the point. It didn't touch the heart at all. Yes, they got the behavior they wanted, but the kid's heart wasn't changed at all. Ted tells another story about the fear of abandonment or uh, as a way to control behavior, especially little kids. I don't know if you've ever tried this. You know, I threatened to put my kids out on the front porch just because they're so bad sometimes. Um, So there's this little four-year-old in the the airport and she's just being a terror unruly. And finally, mom's had enough she's never trained this kid well, so she's dealing with the consequences, but now she's got a crowd around her and there's other people there and it's embarrassing to her. So she finally tells her little four-year-old, you know what? I'm done being your mommy. You're on your own. I don't want to be your mommy anymore. I've had it with you. Bye. And she picks up her papers and her bag and she goes somewhere else and sits somewhere else in the airport. And the little kid goes... No, I'm coming with you. No, little girl, I don't know who you are. You're not my little girl. I'm sorry. And she's going on and on about this. And the little girl's just pleading to her, Mommy, no, you can't do that. No, I don't know you. You go find somebody else. You're, I'm done with you. And that child was just being as sweet and as kind and just at her feet begging. If you look at it on a natural level, you think, man, that mom got that kid to change their behavior. But the end is worse than the, the means, wasn't it? I mean, just what that did to that child's heart. You can't do that. Behavior modifications, rewards for good behavior, all this type of ways that you're trying to punish for bad behavior. And in these cases, the child is clearly after the reward or in this case, self-preservation. They're naturally going to do things that are not going to cause pain to them. If they see it causes pain, they're going to try to stop it in some way. They're going to avoid evil because of the association of the pain rather than because of the evil within their heart desiring righteousness. And now uh, we've talked about this before where, you know, if you be good in the grocery store today, Mommy's going to give you a, you can choose a candy bar at the end of the uh, end of the time in the aisle there in the checkout because you've been good. Well, why did they have the good behavior? Was it out of the goodness of their heart that they're being good to God? Or is it out of the selfishness of their idols of what they're wanting, you're getting them to do the behavior that they want because you didn't want to be embarrassed at the grocery store of them being a terror and reaching and grabbing stuff and yelling and... That's a hard thing to do. I know with us, we had to work at it. Our kids in the grocery store, we'd have you know, six kids and and Kathy would take them and she would sometimes even have to do prep work ahead of time. Okay, we're going to the grocery store and here's the rules, right? And this is the way we act, right? And so you walk through and you talk to them. It's not so much because you're gonna get a spanking if you get home. And there were times when they were unruly and she'd have to leave her cart with everything in and say, I'm sorry, I have to deal with my child and take a kid out to the car and deal with unruly behavior. It only happened a few times but we didn't have them doing that because they knew that was the wrong behavior. It was trained in their heart. This is not the way we want to act around other people. So the fighting that we have here is tied to, up here, an issue of the heart is love of self. That's what's driving this. They're fighting because they want that toy. This is mine. I want to play with it. I want to have it. Or maybe even worse of, I don't want you to have it. I don't want you to have pleasure. My pleasure is watching you not have pleasure because I know you want that toy. That can happen. Love of self. That's driven out of each child's perspective of how they're going to love one another. And that's what we really want to get them to drive to is a heart over here that is a love of others. That's ultimately what we're after is trying to get them to love others. And how do you do that? Well, all of the above things we talked about are temporarily effective in changing behavior, but the heart is not going to change. The heart won't change otherwise. By practicing negative patterns, the child is going to display and encourage hypocrisy. And we'll talk about this at at length next time. But if you go and just get them to change this, and their, their behavior is changed, but their heart is not changed, we draw a line from here because that still exists. And this is hypocrisy. They, they're they're going to be hypocrites, right? Because their heart is doing one thing and their self is doing another. And that's what you call a hypocrite. And uh, if you try to deal with behavior without dealing with the heart issues, that's what you end up with. They're guilt, still going to have the same issue, issues deep in their heart. The positive outward behavior is only a temporary mask. You're just getting to mask it a little bit of time just by the activities that they're doing there. They're going to share on a basis of, you know what, I'm sharing just because I want the prize. I want whatever it is because it's I've still got this love of self. Behind the fighting is love of self. We want them to have a true godly love for others. Changing behavior is not going to cause us to have a love for others. You have to deal with the behaviors and the attitudes of the heart that are behind all this. And with that, I'm gonna open up to any questions to this point. Yeah?
1: So, how do you then implement, because I'm totally agree with so how, but how do you
0: implement things like blessings and consequences apart from manipulation of action? We're gonna to get to that. Yeah, yeah we're gonna to get to rewards and there's a good place where you can use those where, hey, they've done some neat stuff. It seems like a really fine line to crossing. We're gonna work on that. Okay. Deuteronomy 6. Is this is going to be one of those things where you do it as you sit, as you stand, as you go by the way, and you can develop. We're going to talk about family identity. You know, what is your family known and how, how the whole family gets involved when some, one of the kids does something real good or they've been working on an attitude and, and they've got it right and the whole family is enjoying it and excited about it. Those are neat things. So we're, we're going to talk about some of those, those ways we can do it. Any other questions about the heart? Yeah. When are we going to talk about that? about uh, how, to, how to use rewards in the right way, probably three weeks from now is my guess, I think. We've we got a lot to talk about. We've got to talk about discipline, we've got to talk about uh, different methodologies of that, we're gonna talk about young kids and, and middle-aged kids and older kids, because everything's gonna be, you're gonna motivate a two-year-old in with rewards properly very different than you're gonna motivate a 12-year-old because there's different needs that they have and there's different parts. We're gonna talk about a funnel and basically, your child starts out where you are controlling a lot of their life. You're, you're taking and really spoon-feeding them. It's, it's the word, um, train up a child in the way he should go, that Bible verse. Well, the word train there is actually place on the palate. And that's what the moms would do. They would take meal, take food, and chew it up, turn it into a paste, and stick it on their finger and stick it in the back of the mom's mouth. And they'd have to swallow. Training up. So what happens is you then take... Whatever is necessary to train that child, and you take the circumstances, you take the principles you're trying to teach them, and you put them in a palatable form, right at the right consistency for them. For a little child, it's going to be little tiny granular pieces. For a 15 year old boy, it's going to be a steak. You know, so there's different levels. So you, it's like a funnel, and we're going to talk about the funnel where you want to have control at the right spot. Start out controlling your children, and basically dad said it, you believe it, that settles it. All the way to the point where you're releasing control where this child has very wide boundaries of what they're going to do and how you're going to use things like rewards. And, you know, they can make their own decisions to the point where they're 18, they're making their own decisions. So we're going to talk all of those spectrums and how to get there. Yeah, good question. Yeah, for now. I took my eight-year-old to a
1: show and I asked her, you know, you know why I'm bringing you here? and She said, because you love me. And I'm thinking, well, I think I've got a problem because... She knows that I do things for her because I love her, but what about, you know, she's going to start manipulating that because I almost I have to start, you know, having a plan of how when she does wrong, you know, I have to reprimand her or take stuff away from her that she understands it, that you say, you know, her heart's not changing. And she knows that I love her, but she's going to try to manipulate that little thing right there, you know, every time that, well, you give me things because you love me, no matter if I'm doing wrong, misbehaving. So now I got to work on a plan to make her understand that I do love her, but I have to sometimes, you know, come to her and say, you know, this is wrong and make me feel bad. And I, you know, I love you, but it seems like you don't love me. Maybe not,
0: but you're not even mm-hmm. loving me at all. Because you're manipulating. Yes, yes. Isn't that interesting? So not only are our kids manipulating for what they want, they're manipulating us. Yeah. And so we got to be ready for that, and we got to have a plan for that. We're, we're going to get to some of that and how to build a way that. Really, you're going to be looking at that child's love, whatever is inside their heart. And and how do you analyze that? We're going to spend a week just looking at how do you look at the heart? And and how do we understand really what is it that's in there that's driving it? Looking at very specific biblical terms for the heart that are used for sins, essentially. And that's what we want to do is identify what those sins are so we can work on them as heart issues. Yeah. Caesar. Somebody else have a question? Kathy? so and that that's a good point it's almost like okay let's have some homework this week it's not gonna be that hard be looking for specific areas and let's report back next week what are some ways that you identified things that were going on in your child's heart where you saw this behavior and you were able to point back and and, and we're going to start getting a glimpse of this what was in their heart behind this you're not going to know 100 percent what to do with it at this point or whatever it's going to maybe you will um by god's grace but uh it's nice to start getting your mind for looking at it. Yeah, you have a, a three-year-old that's just having some trouble and, and doesn't want to do what you tell them and doesn't want to go to bed and doesn't want to do this. Well, if they've been trained up to a certain point where they have been given real wide boundaries and all of a sudden we've got to change it, how do you change this over, you know, you put them to bed and they disobey you. They get out of bed. I mean, we, we struggled with that. We had five kids and we had to train them. Duct tape works great. No, six kids. Yeah duct tape them down. I've tried that. i tried rope. I've tried everything. Did I say three kids, six kids? <laughs> whatever, six kids. I've Five grandkids, whatever it is. Okay, I'm losing you guys. But you have to look at what it is. That is the, your first step is identify. Okay, that little kid that's not going to sleep or that's, that's not wanting to do what I ask him to do, he's becoming autonomous. It's his self-biased impulse drive. He wants everything within himself to be satisfied in what he's doing. And he is the center of attention. He's the center of your universe sometimes. And you have to shift that. No, we're going to talk about this family identity where your children are welcome parts of the family. They're not the center of it. And I've heard Christian radio station, very famous people saying, oh, you got to make your child the center of your family. Absolutely not. That's going to make them be an idol that everybody bows down and worships. And that's, I think, why, why uh, Joseph was rebuked by his dad would we bow down to you joseph your father and your brothers because that's wrong for you to be the center of the family we're going to talk about that in child-centered parenting you start using the terminology as early as you can so they're used to the terminology they're used to the concept If, if they're just learning they don't even know how to talk still you can you can use the words you can say let's what's in your heart or you know no that's that's not a good heart that's choosing to do this because it's a choice it's their heart that's choosing to do evil or their heart is choosing to do good and yeah you're they can't read the bible you can't take scripture to them at, at three years old and say look read this and go in your room you know it's, it's inappropriate for that but there are ages we're going to get into every age and look at, at each age we're going to segment it off by ages so all right Well, thank you guys. Let me close in prayer. Lord, uh, we know that you are sovereign over all. You're the one that uh, has given us the children you have. You've given us an opportunity to raise these kids, to honor and worship you rather than the creation that you have. Uh, Pray that you give us wisdom. Each one of the the parents in this room is represented here, and uh, even myself as grandparents uh, with my wife. And God, we, we have a responsibility to represent you well, to do it in ways that would uh, would cause great glory for you and honor for your kingdom. It's not about us, it's not making us look well, uh, not even for peace and harmony within our home, although that is a byproduct of it. You've given us your word. You've given us your example. Um, you've given us the knowledge of sin and righteousness and uh, your atonement uh, for a purpose. And, and as we look into that next week, I pray that we would uh, be using this for your glory in uh, your honor. and. Uh, Pray for the next service we're about to go into, that we would be uh, using that as a time, even with our children, to worship you. In your name, amen.